Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Good day, everyone. Today we have Peter Brackney. Peter Brackney is a Lexington-based attorney, primarily practicing in estate planning, probate, and bankruptcy. He's also a preservationist and the creator of the blog, The Kentuckian, that covers a wide range of Lexington and Kentucky history. In 2014, Peter Brackney released his book, Lost Lexington, which highlights several of Lexington's treasures that have either been forever lost or since forgotten. Treasures like the Phoenix Hotel, Green Hills Mansion, the Centerpoint Block, Town Branch, and many more. Welcome, Mr. Brackney. Thanks, Miriam. Thank to be you here. so much for joining us. Your book, Lost Lexington, is divided up into different chapters by right. the different sites that you researched and think we need to remember. One of those is, of course, Town Branch. William McConnell, of course, settled with his frontiersmen, a group of frontiersmen, and the story of Lexington begins. Right. Um, so tell us a little bit about that body of water. Though. Sure. So, yeah. of course, McConnell Springs is where William McConnell and his original party back mm-hmm. in the late 1770s came and first came up with the name Lexington. It was mm-hmm. in 1775, the Battle of Lexington up in Massachusetts, yeah. part of the Revolutionary War. They were here shortly after that for that initial visit mm-hmm. and then came back a few years later and started the establishment of Lexington yes. on the banks of the town branch. So really integral part of Lexington's history. Yeah. Lexington's plat, the, the city itself is oriented around the town branch. If you think a lot of cities, their roads are east and west, north and south. Mm -hmm. And while we've got a north and a south Broadway, it's not cardinal. It's not north and south, truly. It's, it's, it's a skew. And that's because of how town branch runs through the downtown. Yes. Um, so Lexington really owes itself to the town branch. That's how it started. That's how it started. Yeah. In the chapter of town branch, you, of course, mentioned the two cholera outbreaks. Mm-hmm. How did cholera outbreaks affect how town branch was used in Lexington? So there's one quote I found that referred to the town branch as a miserable canal. <laughs> and it was offensive smell, filth, mm-hmm. everything just kind of went through the waters. It was where trash would have been dropped. Any number of things would have ended up in the town branch. Mm-hmm. And so... In the 1800s, we didn't necessarily know how disease was spread, yeah. uh, and it surprised uh, the medical community at Transylvania a lot to mm-hmm. learn why was this disease spreading. Yeah, and so the 1833 cholera outbreak was the first, mm-hmm. and the second major was in uh, 1849. Yeah, and the town branch was, of course, the cause of that because mm-hmm. of the the waste that was carried through. And I know you've got another episode of the yeah, podcast yeah. where our, Terry our, Foodie our, yeah, has. Exactly. Hopefully, there'll be a link to that. In the, yes, in the notes. of course. Yeah. Good. Yeah, people can listen to that for for the details about the good of, uh, cholera. Outbreak, but it was so. it was a lot of difference between the thirty three and the forty nine mm-hmm. uh, outbreak because they started to realize the connection mm-hmm. between what was in the water and what diseases were being carried in the yeah. water. Because originally people thought it was just an airborne illness, but it's actually a waterborne. It is waterborne. Yeah. And so the city of Lexington passed a couple of ordinances mm-hmm. um, in between the two outbreaks. Mm-hmm. One required certain restrictions on how privies, out, yeah. outhouses were to be constructed. And then there was also a prohibition on pigs roaming free in the in yeah. the streets. So there were a couple of changes that they realized, hey, these things may not be good ideas. Yes, yeah, yeah. Something that was a benefit and a resource for the city turned into 
uh, a detriment, basically. Turned into yeah. a detriment. And so it also became a source of flooding yeah, and, and other issues in the early 1900s. And that's really what caused during the Works Progress Administration mm-hmm. in the 1930s them to finally completely cover over mm-hmm. the town branch. It, the smaller coverings had been built earlier, but mm-hmm. it was finally covered over during the WPA. Yeah. And so it used to have Water Street, which we still have a small Water yeah. Street. Uh, Water Street used to run parallel to Vine Street, and Vine Street used to be a much narrower road. Mm-hmm. So as they cut cut through with mm-hmm. town, town Branch mm-hmm. and, and covered it over, it allowed for that widening of Vine Street that yeah. we know today. And of course, most Lexingtonians are familiar with the new plans for Town Branch and mm-hmm. kind of a revival of the idea of Town Branch. What are your thoughts on the new project? I think it's a wonderful project. Mm-hmm. I think, it, of course, it's not a lot. There is a misconception that mm-hmm. it's going to bring the entire Town Branch back to the surface, no, and that's not, not going to happen. No. <laughs> uh, but I think it's going to be a, a great asset to, okay. to downtown. I think that uh, anything that improves pedestrian and, mm-hmm. and, and walkability and, and bicycle access will be positive, and I think it'll be a great resource, especially with the park to the west of the convention center. I think it'll just be a great asset for the community. It'll definitely benefit the library, I think, (laughs) with people being able to walk up. So it'll be nice. It'll be nice. Speaking of the library, um, another Mm -hmm. section in your book is about Phoenix Hotel, and that's where the site of Central Library is at currently. But tell us about that corner on Main Street. So if I can, let me take a, a step back even before sure, yeah. before that corner on Main Street and talk about the library for just a minute, because mm-hmm. I think it's important to remember really where the preservation movement and kind of lost Lexington really began. Mm-hmm. And the first chapter of my book is about the Bradford House, which sits mm-hmm. catty corner to the library's old location, which is now the Carnegie Center yeah. in Grotz Park. And so that building was the Hart Bradford House at the corner of Mill and Second Streets was demolished in the mid-1950s and really started as a launch point for the preservation movement okay. in central Kentucky. Okay. And so, of course, years passed, and it, that movement kind of got re-energized again mm-hmm. with what took place at the Centerpoint Block, and I know we'll touch on that here in yeah. a few minutes. But Caddy Corner from the Hart Bradford House, where the library was, and so where the library is now, the central branch, mm-hmm. That was the old Phoenix Hotel. Which was a very important part in Lexington history. It it was. And that location, by succession, was the oldest hostelry Mm -hmm. in Lexington. It started off as Postlewaite's Tavern back in the 1790s. So a long, long history of that building, multiple buildings. It was burned down a few times over the course of its almost two-century history. And one of those, one of those fires was was in 1820. Mm-hmm. And the Lexington Public Advertiser, one of the local newspapers at the time, had a wonderful kind of description of what took place and a charge to the owners of the property mm-hmm. of what to do next. And of course, I, I discovered these through the resources of the <laughs> Kentucky Room. Yes. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll read just a little bit from that from that advertiser article. Fire, fire, fire. This town was again alarmed by this dreadful cry. In the course of a few hours, a hotel distinguished for the comforts for which it afforded to the way-worn traveler is in ashes. We hope, however, it may soon rise like the phoenix from its ashes. And it was through that newspaper article that they came up with that name, the Phoenix Hotel, before that had been known by whoever owned the hostelry. And so when it reopened a year or two later, that's when it became the Phoenix Hotel. Oh, wow. Okay. And the year before the fire was interesting. That was the year uh, 1820 
when President Monroe uh, was on his grand tour of the South. Mm -hmm. And so Monroe, Jackson, and I believe Zachary Taylor Mm -hmm. all would have stayed at what became Phoenix Hotel Hotel on that property uh, during that during that tour in 1820. So you had three presidents under under roof. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about how it was demolished? That second fire Mm -hmm. led towards the construction in 1914 of the final Phoenix Hotel. Mm -hmm. It was interesting. That was about two years after the Titanic sunk, which was the unsinkable ship. And so it was advertised that the Phoenix Hotel was the fireproof hotel. So a concerning, <laughs> given the history that the hotel had. Yeah. Um, it's like from now on, never label anything. Yeah, it's fire free or unsinkable. Don't name anything there's, like there's that. There's risks associated. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it was not fire that ultimately took down yeah. the Phoenix Hotel. Um, in the early 1980s, Wallace Wilkinson, who became governor, yeah was prepared to as a developer of the World Coal Center. Mm-hmm. And so it was to be a, a skyscraper in Lexington where coal companies could have their headquarters and law firms were planned to to relocate into that building and it was going to be quite the the big building in in, in downtown. Lofty dreams. Lofty for, dreams. Yeah. And it was demolished. The Phoenix mm-hmm. Hotel was was demolished and lost at that point. Yeah. And of course uh, as you mentioned earlier, the Central Library is located on that and yeah. also is Phoenix Park, yes, which is named after the old hotel, yeah. and that is a, a temporary park. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a temporary park since the 1980s. <laughs> Over half of Americans were uh, not born yet, I think, by the time that uh, when that park was begun. Yeah, and it was a temporary park. I so did that not realize way. it was supposed to be a temporary park. I thought it was just you know add a, another park to the right. The <laughs> the idea was to to make that property, which was just debris. Mm-hmm filled yeah. a little more presentable for the 1984 Final Four, yes. which was held at Rupp Arena. Yes. So it was all a little bit of a beautification. We we may remember uh, a grassing over of a certain block yes. right across Limestone <laughs> that kind of has somebody. that same thing going on. Yeah. History has a funny way of repeating it itself. It does. It does, yeah. Of course, it eventually didn't follow through. Those plans went by the wayside. Right. That development did not occur, mm-hmm. and so it, that's ultimately why we have the, yeah. the properties that we um, have now with the yeah. library and, and the park. Yeah, and the library, of course, opened in 1989. We just celebrated 30 years, actually. Wow. And Speaking of the, the property across the street, <laughs> Center Point Block. So this is probably what most Lexingtonians are familiar with. And the city center is just opening. Take us back to that block. What buildings stood there? What's the history of that four-point block? Sure. When it was demolished mm-hmm. in its final state, we had already seen some of the buildings mm-hmm. were lost to history. Of course, yeah. I had already talked about along Vine Street, mm-hmm. There used to be Water Street. So where we used to have Farmer's Market before the Fifth Third yeah. Pavilion was built, some of the listeners may remember Farmer's Market being along Vine Street. I remember there, yeah. I remember we used to park nearby there and go right. to the Farmer's Market when I was little, yeah. And so that was, of course, again, much narrower than it was. Across the street would have at one point been Jackson Hall, which yeah. was the old city um, uh, market. Mm-hmm. And so some of the buildings that were on the south side of the center point block mm-hmm. uh, have been long demolished, and other ones have been demolished along the way. Mm-hmm. But there were still some outstanding uh, anchors to that yeah. block when it was demolished. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the most significant were along 
Upper Street, uh, and those were called Morton's Row. Morton's store was at the corner of, effectively at the corner of Upper and Vine. Mm-hmm. And that was described as one of the oldest, most handsome, and on the exterior, most intact of downtown Lexington's commercial buildings. Because mm-hmm. you see the structures on that block were some of the oldest commercial buildings in Lexington, mm-hmm. uh, dating as far back as 1780. So that's really where the commercial hub of Lexington began. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and c- commerce continues today. Of course. But that building, that handsome Morton store, for listeners, that was the one that had uh, Joe Rosenberg's at the corner with the the, the pediment window and the mm-hmm. and the half half moon window under the pediment. It was a well constructed, attractive building, yeah. about two and a half stories, and it was part of a long row that went across Upper Street. Yeah. Morton's Row, Morton's store was named after William Morton, mm-hmm. who was uh, one of Lexington's earliest and wealthiest philanthropic merchants. Mm-hmm. In his will, he left a significant amount of funds for education in Lexington. And of course, Morton oh, Middle School, School is named for him, uh, which used to be located at Walnut and Short Street, which is now Martin Luther King and yes. Short Street. Yeah. The other building yeah. that I always think is is on the opposite corner. Mm-hmm. And that was where Joe Rosenberg's was before it went to the to the Morton store. Oh, okay. And that was at the corner opposite. Well, it's actually where the Starbucks is now. Right, right now, yeah. Just and, across the street from us, yeah. And so that that building was pre-Civil War. And a lot of listeners pro- may not realize that. And there are a couple of photos that I have in the book mm-hmm. uh, that are from the University of Kentucky mm-hmm. archives. Mm-hmm. And... One of them shows uh, 1944 with Joe Rosenberg's in that building. Okay. And then between 44 and 48, the building underwent a uh, some facade work mm-hmm. and all the old brickwork was covered up and it, it mm-hmm. was it was a, a tragic loss so much so that when the several buildings on the block prior to demolition mm-hmm. applied for listing on the National Register of Historic Places, it was deemed that this particular pre-Civil War building was a non-contributing structure. Wow. But that pre-Civil War building mm-hmm. was where the Rite Aid was. Mm. So that, that Rite Aid, and a lot of listeners will remember go, going in, in into that Rite Aid. <laughs> it was the drugstore downtown, mm-hmm. uh, other than Hutchinson's, mm-hmm. uh, another lost yeah, lost institution. Is, yeah. But that, that building was, was very significant, though, it was lost, at least visually, mm-hmm. years before it was demolished. Because they covered up all that brick. Right. Your book, Lost Lexington, was released in 2014. Mm-hmm. But in the last five years, we've gone through a lot of changes here in Lexington, and we've seen a lot of lost buildings and, and structures. Since your book was released, what mm-hmm. other places have we lost? So I think one of the biggest mm-hmm. that we've lost is probably the People's Bank Building yeah. on South Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, the... That blue turquoise mm-hmm. with the zigzag roof line was just a, a neat example of mid-century Definitely. architecture, modern architecture, mm-hmm. that there are very few real strong examples of in Lexington. Mm-hmm. And there was a great effort to try and save that building mm-hmm. um, with a lot of wonderful backers. Mm-hmm. But the cost of doing it, and there were some complications that really just made it a non-starter. Yeah, I followed that campaign. It was sad to see that building go. It was such a, you know, noticeable building because mm-hmm. it was so different. It was just the juxtaposition of it between the two 
structures. Right. It was it was like a breath of fresh air. So it was it was a beautiful building. It was sad to see it go. It was very sad to see that go. And you know, before People's Bank was there, and before the apartments were to the left, and the mm-hmm. parking structure was to the right. Yeah. All of that was residences from the 1800s. Wow. The evolution mm-hmm. of Lexington is is unchanging. So while we have this fight to preserve a mid-century structure, mm-hmm. there was a, another argument before that as to whether this home should be lost. So oh, it's okay. interesting to just see, again, history repeating itself. Exactly. And there's always that tug of war between you know preservation and progress. So that takes us to the next question that I had for you. As a preservationist, you advocate a lot for preserving the integrity of buildings and the natural resources of Lexington. How do you reconcile holding on to the history of buildings to the necessary growth? Um, Lexington is growing, our population is growing, and people, more people are moving here. How do we reconcile those two things? I think reconciling those two competing values is is important, and it's part of smart growth. Yes. You know? There was the old the old bumper sticker campaign. Mm-hmm. Growth destroys the bluegrass forever. Yeah. Growth is good. Growth is necessary. Yes. And growth is good, but we can be smart about it. Mm-hmm. And if you think back to facade easements, to having H1 overlays and historic, historic homes yeah. and historic properties, mm-hmm. there are a lot of smart growth zoning rules mm-hmm. and approaches that we can utilize that will allow Lexington to grow, but to maintain its beauty and what makes Lexington unique. Do you have any examples of how smart growth was successful here in Lexington and how developers can contribute to that idea? Well, I'm going to take a step before the developers and mm-hmm. say one of the smartest things that we ever did in Lexington, mm-hmm. and this is a tribute to the, to the late Foster Pettit, mm-hmm. and that was the original proposal for the interstate system was mm-hmm. to go down 3rd Street. And if you can imagine how different Lexington <laughs> would be if the interstate wow. went down 3rd Street, like yeah. cutting through those neighborhoods, mm-hmm. those beautiful neighborhoods, yeah. uh, as occurred in so many other cities across the country. And it would have really decimated the number of historical properties that we have, Mm -hmm. uh, the neighborhoods, and it would have just been detrimental. So the effort was made by Mayor Pettit to urge the transportation department to relocate and and to locate the interstate along Mm -hmm. the northern side of town. Yeah. And not affect and disrupt community. Yeah, I think that's a smart idea too. Yeah. That that is a beautiful neighborhood. And that's multiple neighborhoods. It's you've of got course, the, the, yeah. histor- the historic the historic African American yes. East End. You've got the the Transylvania campus area. I mean, you've got a number of different varied communities yes. that that would have impacted. And not to mention the traffic and and yeah. that yeah <laughs> on ramps and off ramps. Yes. Yeah. Can you imagine? Ugh. What are your thoughts on the new courthouse renovations? It's gorgeous. Right. Um, they've done a superb job. Mm-hmm. There's always critique mm-hmm. that different people will have. And, mm-hmm. and people are always, I, I've seen commentary that they wish that they could have full access to the dome at oh, all times. And yeah. well, Because it's glassed in. Because I it's think glassed from, in. Yeah. And that's a fire code. Yes, of course. <laughs> number one. And, and number two, it's making the property economically viable. Yeah. And so when we're looking at how do we preserve and have smart growth, it's being able to preserve historic structures and and do it in a way that's economically viable. And I think, hopefully, fingers crossed, that's what they've done with with the old courthouse. So while we're on the subject of the courthouse, what do you think about the statues that were removed from there in terms of a preservationist outlook. What are your thoughts on it? I think the approach that they took was the right approach. Mm -hmm. The statues are not lost. Yeah. They they have not been mothballed permanently. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were not torn down and destroyed. Yeah. Both of those individuals 
we're part of a very tragic part of our history. Of course. And there's no, no, no disputing that. Mm-hmm. At least there should not be any mm-hmm. disputing that. And I think that their home is mm-hmm. in the cemetery. And I've been to both. And actually, the, I think the Hunt Morgan statue mm-hmm. is much more accessible. There's the old story of Black Bess and how the transy students and the UK students would paint Black Bess's uh, genitalia pink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When I last was at the uh, cemetery, you could actually see some flecks of pink paint still. <laughs> There's a part of lost Lexington that is yeah. not necessarily lost yet. <laughs> we, we, we still are able to yeah. see that a little bit better. Yeah. I think they did a great job with telling the story a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And because those statues were going to be on the front lawn mm-hmm. of not an active judicial center, mm-hmm. but on the front lawn of our visitor center, yes. that I think it was appropriate to have mm-hmm. them relocated. Of course, the argument is always going to remain and, and we continue to have that conversation. But thank you for your contribution to that conversation. What projects are you working on now? Are you still researching and and working on your blog? So the blog has not had probably as many posts of late. (laughs) I've had a few people reach out to me, when are you going to put more out? (laughs) But I have been working on another book uh, project. And next year will be the 100th anniversary of the murder of Geneva Hardman, the trial of Will Lockett, and then the mob, the lynch mob that was rebuffed Mm -hmm. on the steps of the old courthouse. During the the brief trial of... um, The 35-minute trial. The 35-minute Anyway, I'm working on a book that kind of chronicles Ooh, wow. that. And as I did with Lost Lexington, mm-hmm. some of the backstories and some of the, the other untold characters that were involved in that, so little is known about young Geneva. Yeah. Winston Coleman's death at a courthouse. We really only learn a couple of lines about this young 10-year-old girl that was on her way to school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was a, a daughter, a sister. Her family has an interesting story to tell. Oh, we look forward to hearing it. Is it going to be a nonfiction or are you going to take it down the fiction route? It's nonfiction. Okay, good. We look forward (laughs) forward to reading that book. We are so grateful that you took the time out to talk to us. Um, It's been a pleasure. We're going to link the blog on the podcast page. Of course, your book Lost Lexington is on sale now in hardback at Joseph Beth, or you can check it out from from the library. Thank you so much. I'm going to have one more question for you. I want you to sign my my copy. Absolutely. That's okay. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.